0: Self-incrimination. The Fifth Amendment protects individuals from being forced to incriminate themselves. Incriminating oneself is defined as exposing oneself, or another person, to an accusation or charge of crime, or as involving oneself, or another person, in a criminal prosecution or the danger thereof. The privilege against compelled self-incrimination is defined as the constitutional right of a person to refuse to answer questions or otherwise give testimony against himself. To plead the fifth is to refuse to answer any question because the implications of the question, in the setting in which it is asked lead a claimant to possess a reasonable cause to apprehend danger from a direct answer, believing that a responsive answer to the question or an explanation of why it cannot be answered might be dangerous because injurious disclosure could result. Historically, the legal protection against compelled self-incrimination was directly related to the question of torture for extracting information and confessions. The legal shift away from widespread use of torture and forced confession dates to turmoil of the late 16th and early 17th century in England. The Supreme Court of the United States has held that a witness may have a reasonable fear of prosecution and it be innocent of any wrongdoing. The privilege serves to protect the innocent who otherwise might be ensnared by ambiguous circumstances. However, Professor James Duane of the Regent University School of Law argues that the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision in Salinas v. Texas, significantly weaken the privilege, saying our choice to use the Fifth Amendment privilege can be used against you at trial depending exactly how and where you do it. In the Salinas case, Justices Alito, Roberts, and Kennedy held that the Fifth Amendment's privilege against self-incrimination does not extend to defendants who simply decide to remain mute during questioning. Long-standing judicial precedent has held that any witness who desires protection against self-incrimination must explicitly claim that protection. Justice Thomas, siding with Alito, Roberts, and Kennedy, in a separate opinion, held that Salinas' Fifth Amendment privilege would not have been applicable even if invoked because the prosecutor's testimony regarding his silence did not compel Salinas to give self-incriminating testimony. Justice Antonin Scalia joined Thomas' opinion. Legal Proceedings and Congressional Hearings. The Fifth Amendment privilege against compulsory self-incrimination applies when an individual is called to testify in a legal proceeding. The Supreme Court ruled that the privilege applies whether the witness is in a federal court or, under the incorporation doctrine of the Fourteenth Amendment, in a state court, and whether the proceeding itself is criminal or civil. The right to remain silent was asserted at grand jury or congressional hearings in the 1950s, when witnesses testifying before the House Committee on Un-American Activities or the Senate Internal Security Subcommittee claimed the right in response to questions concerning their alleged membership in the Communist Party. Under the Red Scare hysteria at the time of McCarthyism, witnesses who refused to answer the questions were accused as Fifth Amendment communists. They lost jobs or positions in unions and other political organizations, and suffered other repercussions after taking the Fifth. Senator Joseph McCarthy, Republican, Wisconsin, asked, Are you now, or have you ever been, a member of the Communist Party, while he was chairman of the Senate Government Operations Committee Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations? Admitting to a previous Communist Party membership was not sufficient. Witnesses were also required to name names, for example implicating others they knew to be communists or who had been communists in the past. Academy Award-winning director Aliyah Kazan testified before the House Committee on Un-American Activities that he had belonged to the Communist Party briefly in his youth. He also named names, which incurred enmity of many in Hollywood. Other entertainers such as Zero Mostel found themselves on a Hollywood blacklist after taking the fifth, and were unable to find work for a while in show business. Pleading the fifth in response to such questions was held inapplicable, since being a communist itself was not a crime. The amendment has also been used by defendants and witnesses in criminal cases involving the American Mafia. Statements made to non-governmental entities. The privilege against self-incrimination does not protect an individual from being suspended from membership in a non-governmental, self-regulatory organization, SRO, such as the New York Stock Exchange, NYSE, where the individual refuses to answer questions posed by the SRO. An SRO itself is not a court of law, and cannot send a person to jail. SROs, such as the NYSE and the National Association of Securities Dealers, NASD, are generally not considered to be state actors. See United States v. Solomon, D. L. Cromwell Investments Incorporated v. Nast Regulation Inc., and Marciano v. Nast. SROs also lack subpoena powers. They rely heavily on requiring testimony from individuals by wielding the threat of loss of membership or a bar from the industry, permanent, if decided by the NAST, when the individual asserts his Fifth Amendment privilege against compelled self-incrimination. If a person chooses to provide statements in testimony to the SRO, the SRO may provide information about those statements to law enforcement agencies, who may then use the statements in a prosecution of the individual. Custodial Interrogation The Fifth Amendment limits the use of evidence obtained illegally by law enforcement officers. Originally, at common law, even a confession obtained by torture was admissible. However, by the 18th century, common law in England provided that coerced confessions were inadmissible. The common law rule was incorporated into American law by the courts. The Supreme Court has repeatedly overruled convictions based on such confessions, in cases such as Brown v. Mississippi, 1936. Law enforcement responded by switching to more subtle techniques, but the courts held that such techniques, even if they do not involve physical torture, may render a confession involuntary and inadmissible. In Chambers v. Florida, 1940, the court held a confession obtained after five days of prolonged questioning, during which time the defendant was held incommunicado, to be coerced. In Ashcraft v. Tennessee, 1944, the suspect had been interrogated continuously for 36 hours under electric lights. In Haynes v. Washington, the court held that an unfair and inherently coercive context including a prolonged interrogation rendered a confession inadmissible. Miranda v. Arizona, 1966, was a landmark case involving confessions. Ernesto Miranda had signed a statement confessing to the crime, but the Supreme Court held that the confession was inadmissible because the defendant had not been advised of his rights. The court held the prosecution may not use statements, stemming from custodial interrogation of the defendant unless it demonstrates the use of procedural safeguards effective to secure the privilege against self-incrimination. Custodial interrogation is initiated by law enforcement after a person has been taken into custody or otherwise deprived of his freedom of movement before being questioned as to the specifics of the crime. As for the procedural safeguards to be employed, Unless other fully effective means are devised to inform accused persons of their right of silence and to assure a continuous opportunity to exercise it, the following measures are required. Before any questioning, the person must be warned that he has a right to remain silent, that any statement he does make may be used as evidence against him, and that he has a right to the presence of an attorney, either retained or appointed. The warning Chief Justice Earl Warren referred to is now called the Miranda Warning, and it is customarily delivered by the police to an individual before questioning. Miranda has been clarified by several further Supreme Court rulings. For the warning to be necessary, the questioning must be conducted under custodial circumstances. A person detained in jail or under arrest is, of course, deemed to be in police custody. Alternatively, a person who is under the reasonable belief that he may not freely leave from the restraint of law enforcement is also deemed to be in custody. That determination of reasonableness is based on a totality of the objective circumstances. A mere presence at a police station may not be sufficient. But neither is such a presence required. Traffic stops are not deemed custodial. The court has ruled that age can be an objective factor. In Yarborough v. Alvarado, 2004, the court held that a state court decision that failed to mention a 17 year old's age as part of the Miranda custody analysis was not objectively unreasonable. In her concurring opinion, Justice O'Connor wrote that a suspect's age may indeed be relevant to the custody inquiry, the court did not find it relevant in the specific case of Alvarado. The court affirmed that age could be a relevant and objective factor in JDB v. North Carolina where they ruled that so long as the child's age was known to the officer at the time of police questioning, or would have been objectively apparent to a reasonable officer, its inclusion in the custody analysis is consistent with the objective nature of that test. The questioning does not have to be explicit to trigger Miranda rights. For example, two police officers engaging in a conversation designed to elicit an incriminating statement from a suspect would constitute questioning. A person may choose to waive his Miranda rights, but the prosecution has the burden of showing that such a waiver was actually made. A confession not preceded by a Miranda warning where one was necessary cannot be admitted as evidence against the confessing party in a judicial proceeding. The Supreme Court, however, has held that if a defendant voluntarily testifies at the trial that he did not commit the crime, his confession may be introduced to challenge his credibility, to impeach the witness, even if it had been obtained without the warning. In Heibel v. 6th Judicial District Court of Nevada, 2004, the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 that being required to identify oneself to police under states stop and identify statutes is not an unreasonable search or seizure, and is not necessarily self-incrimination. Explicit invocation. In June 2010, the Supreme Court ruled in who is v. Tompkins that a criminal suspect must now invoke the right to remain silent unambiguously. Unless and until the suspect actually states that he is relying on that right, police may continue to interact with, or question, him, and any voluntary statement he makes can be used in court. The mere act of remaining silent is, on its own, insufficient to imply the suspect has invoked those rights. Furthermore, a voluntary reply, even after lengthy silence, can be construed as implying a waiver. The new rule will defer to police in cases where the suspect fails to assert the right to remain silent. This standard was extended in Salinas v. Texas in 2013 to cases where individuals not in custody who volunteer to answer officers' questions and who are not told their Miranda rights. The court stated that there was no ritualistic formula necessary to assert this right, but that a person could not do so by simply standing mute. Production of documents. Under the act of production doctrine, the act of an individual in producing documents or materials, for example, in response to a subpoena, may have a testimonial aspect for purposes of the individual's right to assert the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination to the extent that the individual's act of production provides information not already in the hands of law enforcement personnel about the own existence. 2. Custody, or, 3. Authenticity, of the documents or materials produced. See United States v. Hubble. In Boyd v. United States, The U.S. Supreme Court stated that it is equivalent to a compulsory production of papers to make the non-production of them a confession of the allegations which it is pretended they will prove. By corporations. Corporations may also be compelled to maintain and turn over records. The Supreme Court has held that the Fifth Amendment protections against self-incrimination extend only to natural persons. The Court has also held that a corporation's custodian of records can be forced to produce corporate documents even if the act of production would incriminate him personally. The only limitation on this rule is that the jury cannot be told that the custodian personally produced those documents in any subsequent prosecution of him, but the jury is still allowed to draw adverse inferences from the content of the documents combined with the position of the custodian in the corporation. Refusal to testify in a criminal case. In Griffin v. California, 1965, the Supreme Court ruled that a prosecutor may not ask the jury to draw an inference of guilt from a defendant's refusal to testify in his own defense. The court overturned as unconstitutional under the federal constitution a provision of the California state constitution that explicitly granted such power to prosecutors. Refusal to testify in a civil case. While defendants are entitled to assert the right against compelled self incrimination in a civil court case, there are consequences to the assertion of the right in such an action. The Supreme Court has held that the Fifth Amendment does not forbid adverse inferences against parties to civil actions when they refuse to testify in response to probative evidence offered against them. Baxter v. Pomagiano, s. Mr. Justice Brandeis declared, speaking for a unanimous court in the Todd case, silence is often evidence of the most persuasive character. Failure to contest an assertion, is considered evidence of acquiescence, if it would have been natural under the circumstances to object to the assertion in question. In Baxter, the state was entitled to an adverse inference against Pomagiano because of the evidence against him and his assertion of the Fifth Amendment right. Some civil cases are considered criminal cases for the purposes of the Fifth Amendment. In Boyd v. United States, the U.S. Supreme Court stated that a proceeding to forfeit a person's goods for an offense against the laws, though civil in form, and whether in ram or in personam, is a criminal case within the meaning of that part of the Fifth Amendment which declares that no person shall be compelled, in any criminal case, to be a witness against himself. In United States v. Lilikey's, the court ruled that Alexandros Lilikis was not entitled to Fifth Amendment protections in a civil denaturalization case even though he faced criminal prosecution in Lithuania, the country that he would be deported to if denaturalized. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit the legalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.